All right, if you have your Bibles with you, which you should, you've come to church, didn't you? <laughs> it's kind of handy to have it. There's no telling what you might want to look at. All right, we're going to be looking in chapter 44 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 44. And I'll say just a little bit before we read our text. And I tell you every week, the reason why I do it is because sometimes there are people present that have not had the opportunity to participate in the series and maybe don't know what we're doing. And then more likely someone may be tuned in by social media or may choose this message to download somewhere around the world. And so I wanted to, I want to share with you what we're doing. Some time ago, been so long I don't remember, but I started a little series that uh, was born out of that text in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus talked about a sparrow that doesn't fall to the ground without his knowledge and without his control actually his providence and he says in the same chapter uh, encouraging his followers that even the hair of our head is numbered meaning not just counted but numbered I got tickled this morning I asked one of the men how he was and he said I wouldn't be happier if I had more hair <laughs> I thought that was funny. All right. But uh, anyway, those, uh, those texts made me now, and I know it would anyone who, uh, with a spoonful of brains, as Brother Lloyd Mahanes used to say, uh, would wonder about and what it would lead to, what it would lead to. So I started a series on divine providence providence meaning God's government of all that he has created divine providence that's one thing everybody believes in you'd have to even if you weren't familiar with the Bible if you thought seriously about who God is you would think that surely he's in control of everything he's created everything in our world and you'd be right about that but I wonder sometimes how many of us think about the extent of it. The extent of it. So I've shared several messages. I've got several more I want to share with you. But we went back to the 13 chapters that are dedicated to the life of Joseph, which is one constant stream of information related to divine providence working in Joseph's life and in the life of his family, in the life of his family. And so that's where we've been for some time, is thinking about that. And Joseph being a type of Christ, not my opinion, not yours. It wouldn't matter if you didn't think that was true, because it is true. Joseph being a type of Christ in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are some 17 
uh, types of Christ, some 17 types of Christ. One of these days I may preach a series on the types of Christ in the Old Testament, and I'll preach it till I fall over or till the Lord comes back. No, I, I, sometimes, and I shouldn't do it, I know, but I avoid a series uh, that I know I never would get out of. But anyway, that's been, the, that's been our topic, is Joseph a type of Christ, and his brethren, a type of the unregenerate in the world, their condition. The condition of the unregenerate in the world. And so for several weeks now, I've, uh, we started in chapter 42. In chapter 42, uh, and in verse 21 down through verse 24, I saw three things in that. I saw the what initiates the Lord's work in the lives of those of us who are saved, and it's redeeming love. I preached a sermon on uh, that which is confusing or veiled in the Scripture about the fact that Joseph spoke to his brethren in the, in the Egyptian language and could understand everything they were saying, and they didn't know it. And they were so fearful that they come to conclude that they had, were, they had sinned against their brother. And they didn't even know who he was. And I brought a couple of messages on the awakened conscience. And on the heart and how the, uh, the, uh, how the will and how the conscience and how the intellect. All being moral uh, parts of everyone are under the heading of the heart in the Bible. And I, I brought two messages about Judas and the fact that just saying I have sinned does not equal a right relationship with the Lord. And we pointed that out very clearly. And here in the book of Genesis, they're acknowledging sin did not mean their heart was right. But I want to bring you to a point this morning that I think is really important. And that is that in this process of time from chapter 41 up to chapter 45, as Joseph deals with them, speaks roughly with them, puts them through all kinds of distress, and that's actually what the Bible says, to bring them to the point to where they stop thinking we are honorable men. That's what they said in chapter 42 verse 31. And we said unto him, we are true men. And true in the Hebrew meaning just and honest and upright and peaceable and pious. You can have people, and there are people everywhere, and there may be people here this morning, there may be people tuned in by social media, who uh, think of yourself as being uh, uh, honest and good people and pious and peaceful and honorable individuals and even confess that you have sinned in your life at the same time. That can happen. And I've, I think I've pointed that out uh, very well in bringing these messages uh, to you related to that. But I want to say this. I'm getting ready to bring a message on chapter 45 verse 1, the last statement in that. Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. He hadn't done that. He hadn't done that through all that process of time. And I can't tell you this morning how important that statement is. 
on how God saves unworthy sinners. I don't care what you think about that. I don't care what your understanding may or may not be related to that. If you know the Lord as your personal Savior this morning, you do so because that happened to you. He made Himself known unto you. So that's coming. Boy, how exciting that is. And it's probably one of the highlights of all this account of Joseph's life and divine providence working in his life and in the life of his brethren. Now what I want to do is share some things with you from chapter 44 because they lead up to chapter 45. And here's what I want to say to you. I want to say no one ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ until they were brought to a knowledge of themselves as God sees them. You've heard me say many times, nobody ever truly repented. And I know it for a fact. No one ever truly repented until they see themselves as God reveals them to themselves. I know in my own personal experience, I would never have come to repentance apart from seeing myself as God has revealed me in the scriptures and knowing my need for the Savior, I would have never come to repentance and neither will anybody else. It just simply does not happen. What people say and believe is they are true men as they did here in this passage of scripture. And so I want to share with you this morning, before Joseph made himself known to them, that they had come to that place in their experience. I'll read one verse, then I'll tell you the story about chapter 44. And I hope that everybody that has been participating in these messages has read this very carefully and noted things that are in there. It'll bless your soul. Literally bless your soul. Now the one verse I just simply want to read, then we'll go from there. Is verse 16, chapter 44 and verse 16. As the Lord blesses it. And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? How shall we speak and how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out our iniquity, the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Now this is a statement of Judah. I want to say at the very beginning, it is obvious and clear that he speaks not only for himself, but he represents his, bro his brothers. It's like, I thought of this related to that, it's like in the book of John when uh, Jesus was uh, speaking to his disciples in the 16th chapter. And here's, uh, here's what he says. Uh, in chapter, well, maybe it was Matthew. <laughs> maybe it was Matthew chapter 16. I think these are awesome words that we find there. Yes. And Jesus, and, and, and he said unto them in 15th verse, 
But whom say ye that I am? They had told him that people were saying that he was John the Baptist and Elijah and all. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The confession of every saved person. Sincere. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here is the most moving thing that I find in this. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, listen to this, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I come to the same place in my experience, as I know many of you have too. And I want you to know this morning that that's exactly how you came there. You did not come there because you've done something that God would count for your salvation. Because there's nothing anybody can do to earn their salvation. There are people all over this world who believe that and teach it. It's been preached from pulpits all across our land. That a God will save you if you'll do this or you'll do that. And the Bible's very clear about it. There is nothing you can do in order to be saved. And I want to tell you that only as he reveals himself unto you will you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'll also read, and this, this one is in John 14, and I know it's there. And Jesus said this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to know this morning who loves the Lord? I'll just give you a Bible answer for that. I just told you what it means. Jesus Christ himself said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him. And listen to this. And I will manifest myself unto him. Isn't that awesome? I will manifest myself unto him. Now I want to tell you this morning that these brothers had come to the place where uh, uh, verse 16 expresses this. How shall we clear ourselves? Reminds me of the Philippian jailer who when the earthquake opened the prison and the prisoners escaped and he come out and said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And of course, Paul told him to believe on the Lord and he would be saved. And so this is where Judas is. And he represents not only himself, but his brethren. Here's the story. When you start in chapter 44, they're on their way back home after the second trip to Egypt. Remember there's a famine. Everybody, if it's worldwide. Everybody in the world. I, I've often wondered how many people starved to death. How many people didn't have access to what was in Egypt? Because God had shown Joseph that the famine was coming, that there'd be seven years of it and seven years of plenty. And he told Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. You need to store up the food because the famine is coming. And Pharaoh believed that he had a word from God and put him in charge of all of that. And so all the food that existed was in Egypt. The grain was there. And Jacob had already sent his brothers there once. They'd made one trip. And uh, Joseph had put their money back in their sack. What a picture it is 
Uh, if people try to pay for their salvation, don't realize that it's a gift. And, and Joseph gave them their money back, put it back in their sack. And so, uh, uh, jo uh, they've, they've come back the second time, the second time. This time, Joseph had told them, don't come back. You will not see my face if you don't bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, with you. And of course, Jacob had said no. Uh, Jacob's only two sons by his wife, Rachel, uh, were Joseph and Benjamin. And, jo and Jacob had said, no, you're not taking him away because this happened to my oldest son and I'm afraid this will happen to my youngest son. He had bound up all his love and compassion in that young man. And so he would not allow him to go back. And so Jacob had come and said, you need to go back and get more food because we're going to starve. And they told Jacob, we can't. We can't go back because Joseph had already told them, you will not see my face anymore unless you bring Benjamin with you. And finally, they persuaded him to let Benjamin go. And so they took, went back again. They got another load of grain. And Joseph gave command to put the money back in the sack again and to take his silver cup and put it in the youngest boy's sack. His silver cup. Now it's called uh, here in verse 5. Is this not uh, that which my Lord drinketh and whereby uh, indeed he divineth? And I want to say just a little bit about that because that would raise a question in your mind if you read that. And of course that's uh, uh, magic arts or whatever. And uh, of course in Egypt they practiced that. They had false gods and they practiced that kind of stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean that Joseph did use that cup uh, in, in, in his uh, uh, divining, so to speak, because he got word from the Lord, but it didn't, come, didn't have nothing to do with the silver cup, of course. We would know that. And he probably, he may have used it simply because uh, it was a common thing among the Egyptians for that kind of thing to happen. And so, in order maybe to impress them or whatever, he would have this special a cup from which he would uh, use and drink and all this kind of stuff. That was the cup that he ordered them to put in Benjamin's sack. And then he said to them, when they get away, get down the road a little ways, I want you to overtake them. And I want you to open their sacks. And I want you to bring them back. And I want us to know who it is that has my silver cup. And so they did, and it was Benjamin. And so they brought all of them back. And earlier, in order to get Jacob to bring, to let Benjamin go, uh, he, he had, Judah had said, uh, if you'll let him go, he said, I'll be a surety for him. In other words, I will take, take his place. I will, I will guarantee uh, his safety and he cared about his father because his father had said if anything happens to that boy it'll bring me down to the grave is what he had said and so all at once Judah here cares about his father and all at once he cares about Benjamin 
the same one that had permitted Joseph to be captured and taken. The same one. Did he care about his father then? No, he did not. It is a demonstration of his fallen and depraved nature. And if you look with me back in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, and remember this morning, I'm sharing with you uh, about the fact that God was, had already done a work of grace in their heart. And here's what I want you to see. In chapter 37, in verse 26 and 27, And Judah said unto his brothers, What profit is it if we slay our brother and, cancel his, and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. You know, I thought about that. I thought about what might have happened as they took little 14-year-old Joseph and threw him in the pit. They were jealous because Jacob loved him. Special. Made him the coat of many colors. I've thought about that. I've thought what might have happened you know, if I'd thrown my little brother, Rick, he's around here somewhere, if me and Randall and David had thrown him in a pit, I know what he would have done. He'd have whined and cried and it would have been pitiful. You all surely don't think that young Joseph didn't say a word or anything. They were going to kill him. They were going to kill him. And they ended up killing an animal and soaking his coat of many colors in blood and sending it back to Jacob and telling him that he'd been eaten by the animals. But can you imagine the pleading? Let me tell you all about the condition of Judah's heart in chapter 37. Anyone who is fallen and depraved is not as bad as they could be. I've said it often. You may know someone, somebody might be here this morning and say, Preacher, I'm not saved, but I wouldn't do nothing like that. Don't say what you wouldn't do. You might. You might. Under the right circumstances. So I want to point out to you all that Judah was deceptive and evil and wicked and hard-hearted. And I believe that all alone, the cries and the pleas of Joseph from that pit had probably eaten at him and divine providence had used that in his life to bring Judah to where he is in chapter 44 when he says, what must we do to clear ourselves? Because God, he says, because uh, God has found out the iniquity of our servants, of, our, of thy servants. He has found it out. He knows it. He says servants, all of them. And you all might know this morning that not only did they talk to each other in the text that we have from chapter 41 up to 45, but you would know that they had continued to talk to one another. 
you would know that that discussion had been ongoing. Ongoing. Reuben had said to him, I tried to get you not to do it, but you did it anyway. Reuben was more sensible. Reuben was one of them, maybe you'd say, good moral fallen individuals. But anyway, you can, you can know that they did that. And so Judas is talking to him. So what is Judas doing here as he represents his brothers? He's rehearsing the past. He's rehearsing the point when he did not care for his brothers or he, could not, he did not care about his father's grief. Here in 44, he does. They do. But in chapter 37, they did not. And so we might imagine his heartless neglect back there and a picture of his depraved heart and how that brought him to the place to where he was. Also, he pictured his future. He says he, thought, he talked to uh, Joseph about the loss of Benjamin and the death of his father. He didn't care about the loss of Joseph, but now he cares about the loss of Benjamin and the death of his father. He related how he had become a surety for Benjamin there. And what joy must have filled Joseph's heart as he realized that Judah and his brethren had actually come to the place of repentance to the point of a changed heart. You remember I shared with you two messages on the heart and what it represented and how that when God saves someone, He gives them a new heart, a new heart, takes away the stony heart out of their flesh. Oh, how he must have rejoiced when he come to hear these words that he spoke. And not only did he rehearse his past, not only did he picture the future, but he proposed compromise to take the place of Judah, of Benjamin rather. I want you to notice with me in verse 32. He says, For, my, for thy servant became a surety for the lad unto my father, saying, I will bring him not unto thee. If I bring him not unto thee, I shall bear the blame to my father forever. He represents the, our Lord and Savior in that statement. How many of you know this morning that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He is your surety. He's the one that has taken your place. He's the one that has borne your sin, the penalty of it. And so you do not have to face that penalty of your sin. Not that you don't make mistakes in life and need to be forgiven off and on, but the penalty, the death penalty of your sin has been taken away. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is now therefore no condemnation or judgment for them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And by the way, that last statement is not something that one must do to be in Christ Jesus, but he's simply saying this is what people do who are in Christ Jesus. They walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I hope when I share with you some details related uh, to Joseph making himself known to his brethren and what it means to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord, its impact on our life. There's some passages in the book of 1 John that I hope to be able to share with you that are a miracle. And it took a miracle. We sang that song, It Took a Miracle. Oh, we think about all the miracles that we know that the Lord has done. But the greatest miracle 
is him revealing himself and displaying his love and mercy and grace and forgiveness in the hearts and lives of his people. What a miracle that is. The greatest miracle that we know. And so he makes this proposal to Joseph. And he says in verse 33, Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondsman to my Lord. I will become enslaved to you if you'll just let Benjamin go. Oh, what a change had come about. What a change had come about. And of course, in salvation, that's what happens to people. There's a change, a change in the things they love, a change in the things they care about. All these people who make a profession of faith and go back out and live just like they've always lived and seem not to be changed whatsoever. I'm telling you, that doesn't line up with what the Bible says about that. And he says, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. All at once, all at once, Judah and his brethren care about the grief of their father. I know that all of you this morning who have come to know the Lord as your personal Savior, I know you're just like myself. There have been things in your life that you could not keep from noticing. And you know something, the marvelous thing about it is that every living thing must grow. And that's true. Every living thing must grow. And you are aware of the fact that growth has taken place in your life. As I've shared with you several times, I come to know the Lord 57 years ago. And I tell you what, I was just plumb ignorant then. And I tell you what, I'm plumb ignorant now. <laughs> the smarter I get, the dumber I know I am. <laughs> It's true. You've got to understand what I mean by that. Because as we learn more and more, we learn also how much we didn't know all along. Amen? And so we grow. We grow. We grow as we go along. And you know that process started with me when I was a youngster. The things I'm preaching about, they are so real to me. How that the Lord dealt even with distress, even with issues, He uses every little thing in our life, every little thing in our life, all of those issues, He uses them to bring us to the point to where Judah and his brethren were. And I want to tell you this morning, God never saves nobody until that happens. And you know what? Sometimes... I mean, I've known, I've had people to share with me many times. Sometimes it takes years and years of experience. Oh, I, I just thank my God for all the good testimonies that I've had the privilege of hearing over the years about how people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't know how many times that I've stood at the bed of a patient in the hospital who actually was terminally, had been given the worst word that they could ever be given by a doctor. 
and tell them that they're probably not going to make it. And have them to confess things to me. And in doing so, confessing them to God, really. It don't do you no good to confess anything to... The preacher's not a priest. Not in the sense of Old Testament or Catholic priest or whatever. I'm not. I'm not even an ex-priest. And I can't forgive you like they claim that they can. I can't cancel out your sin. But I tell you what, it's good to be able to say it. How many of you know that it's good to be able to say, I have sinned. How can I fix this? How many of you have ever done something you wish you hadn't done? And because the Lord had saved you, He led you to go to that person or people and say, I'm sorry. You don't know how many times in my life that I've apologized for something. A lot of times I have offended people, not meaning to. You know how I go on with stuff. (laughs) More than I should probably. But I'm just a happy camper. You know what I'm saying? I'm all time cutting up. I see see things funny in just about everything that I shouldn't sometimes. And I've gone many times and, and I've apologized. I told you all the story about the whipping I got. I really did. I got a whipping. I got a whipping. I had an elderly lady to reach and get her flashwat and whip me and say, Now, preacher, don't you do that no more. And she was perfectly happy. I went to her house with her daughter to apologize. I didn't mean to offend her, but I did. I, and all I said was, You get prettier every day. And I, I, I didn't want to lie. Beauty is more than is more than what's on the surface. Amen. I tell you what, you all are a beautiful bunch of people, and you really are. And uh, so the daughter said, "Preacher, I'll go with you. You need to talk to Mama." And I told her, I said, "I just want to tell you how sorry I am." And she reached and got her flashlight, and she wore me out. And she said, "Now, preacher, don't you do that no more." And I said, "I won't." And I left there, and her daughter said, Preacher, do you know just what happened to you? And I said, I think I do. I believe I got a whooping. And she said, you did. I got a whooping. (laughs) Bless her heart, I'll never forget her. She was one awesome person. (laughs) And I look forward to seeing her in heaven and laughing with her about me getting a whipping with her flash flash (laughs) wad. But anyway, I've had to say I'm sorry. So many times. Did you know that the work of the Spirit in your life will just make you that way? It'll make you that way. You care about everybody, don't you? How many of you know that Jesus said, By this shall all men know you are my disciples, because you love your brethren. Oh, there's so many times I see things. It seems to be a manifestation of lack of that. Just lack of that. It breaks my heart. But let me tell you something. When God, I'm, I, now I'm talking about this morning, the impact, the extent. I want you to be mindful of the fact that I've shared with you that a lot of people in this world don't think that, that divine providence extends to a work of grace in the heart and life of an individual. I'm telling you it does. I know it does. You know it does. But I pray that somebody that didn't know that might be tuned in this morning and may be listening to this message. The extent of divine providence, my brother and sister, 
is what brought you to Christ. It brought you the same route that it brought Joseph's brethren to that point, to that point. Of not caring to caring is one of the main ways that we know that. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your goodness toward us, Your mercy, and Your love and grace. Thank You, Father, for this chapter. Thank You for what it teaches us. And I pray, O God, if there's somebody here that has come that route and needs to make the same confession, what must I do? What must I do about this? That maybe this might be the point this morning when that commitment is made. And oh Lord, if there's anyone out there listening by way of, by way of social media, that Lord, you might want to lead them to get down on their knees and pray the sinner's prayer this very morning. And maybe they'll let us know that it happened. We thank you, O oh God, for your grace. We thank you for your providence that works. It does not only work in bringing us to a saving knowledge of you, but it works, O oh God, all through the walk and experience of the Christian. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.